Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, March 4th. Act without desire for the fruits of your action. Take care of the present, and the future will take care of itself. The past that will then cease to be a burden on your conscience, and the future will await you with a smile. My, my, my. I think that we should all write this one down on a big piece of paper, and we should paste it on the wall of our room and on the mirror in the bathroom and just about every place that we ever are. However, act without desire for the fruits of your actions. This is the, the Bhagavad Gita has this pages and pages and pages on this because it's not an easy thing to accomplish. We're, we are so um, hypnotized by the idea that we're doing what we're doing for the sake of what we're going to get from it. Now, this is a balance point because the quest for excellence is also essential. And this is where we, we have to sort of understand this. Desire, acting without desire for the fruits of our action is to say, I'm doing this as a, as a service to God, as an instrument of God, acting as well as I can. I'm not doing this for what I'm going to get at the end of it. Because whenever we think about what I'm going to get at the end of it, first of all, it moves us from the present into the future. It moves us out of what, it, it takes our concentration and commitment away from what we're doing, and it puts at least a portion of it on what we're going to get from it, which just in itself divides its energy, weakens our energy, and spoils our intuition. Because you have to be in the now, to, I mean, the divine presence is in the now. It's not in the future. Also, self-concern. There's a, a cycle of if you want something, there's always anxiety that you won't get it. And so if, we, if you're working on it now and you're anticipating what you're going to get, then inherent in that is the fear that you won't. And the, that fear will then make you anxious, could make you angry against obstacles. It just, you can see if you spend the time to really think about it, this is the key to successful work and to happiness. Now, the other side of it, though, is that it's that people sometimes think if you're acting without desire for the fruits of the action, that therefore you're indifferent to what you're doing. That's not at all true. Because the, the striving for excellence is the commitment to self-mastery. Because, it, again, if we think about this, I had a, a young friend, have a young friend. Let's see. I have a friend who used to be young. <laughs> That's how I want to put it. <laughs> he's younger than I, but he's not as young as he was. Now, have I said enough about that? But he was somewhat drawn to the teachings that I'm in. In fact, drawn to them. But he also has um, worldly desires. He wants to be a success in life. You know, he needs to prove himself in all kinds of ways that are important to him. And it's karmically important, too. Um, so he was afraid, as sometimes happens, when you, when you hear teachings like action without the desire for the fruits of the action, you feel, if I get involved in this teaching, 
I'm not going to be able to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And so they are afraid of it. And it's understandable. I, it's, that's a complicated question. But I was trying. He's a very intelligent man, and I was just trying to reason with him. I said, what is the greatest obstacle to success? And because he's insightful, he thought about it for a while. He said, me, himself. I said, so anything that gives you self-mastery is going to increase the possibility of your success, isn't it? Yes. So that, that is the point. What keeps us from excellence is almost and always ourselves. That there's some limitation in ourselves that is causing us not to be able to carry through. Simple laziness, lack of perseverance, an inability to focus, an inability to, fall, to receive or to follow true intuition, to get along with the people you need in order to be part of your team. I mean, you can make a long list. If you follow them back carefully enough with clear introspection, it always comes to some dissonance within yourself. Now, overcoming one's own limitations um, is a tremendous end in itself. And also, it, it is the key to leading you to, to success. Okay, so let me just think how that goes. So striving for excellence is how we discipline ourselves and how we can tell whether I'm living up to my own potential. Is that if it's not succeeding, if it's not going as well as it could, if I'm not doing the very best job I can do. Now, that doesn't mean that on an objective scale you always have to get the gold medal. The question is whether I'm doing my sincere best. Because when we don't do our sincere best, then we begin to contract and that leads to a host of other issues. So excellence, measured against our own potential, is the measure of success. So to be unattached to the fruits, to be acting merely for the sake of the action, doesn't mean to do bad work. Just the opposite. It means to devote myself as much as I can to doing whatever's in front of me with the very best energy I can bring to it, because that's what brings me joy. And then, then what also begins to happen <clears throat> is we realize that the doing of it is really, I mean, it's, it's wonderful to see a beautiful product at the end, but the real transformation and the real satisfaction is in the flow of energy that comes through us. And, and then when the result is also excellent, well, isn't that nice? But if our identification is with the flow of energy that came through us, then we always have that. I remember when I was working on a program guide for our classes and uh, we had renovated, we had innovated it completely, redesigned it completely. This was when print was the only medium of communication. And we'd hired this wonderful friend, this friend who was a wonderful designer. We'd, we'd re redone the whole thing and it, when it finally was printed, it was just beautiful. I just loved it. I'd work, been working on it for, you know, several weeks and, and I remember... <laughs> I read it cover to cover. It was like a, you know, a 15 or 16 page piece, like a small magazine. I read it cover to cover. I looked at every picture. I looked at every word. I opened it again and I looked at it cover to cover. Then I just looked at the pictures. Then I put it down. Then I picked it up again. <laughs> and then I finally remember, I remember holding it in my hands and saying, I think I have gotten about as much joy out of this thing as I'm ever going to get. And I just put it down and just let it be part of my life after that. I was sort of teasing myself. You know, I had done it because it was my responsibility to do it. I had loved the process. I was very pleased with the result. 
but my well-being was not dependent on the result. That, that's really what we're trying to say. Because if my well-being, if my happiness is dependent on the result, I'm in a lot of trouble. Because all I can ever deal with is who I am, all I can ever control, and even that, of course, is a struggle sometimes, is the quality and the quantity of the energy I put out in the moment. And if, if I pay good attention to the quality and the quantity of the energy I put out, the chances are better that the fruit of the tree will be good because the tree is good. This is what Jesus says, you know, a good tree brings good fruit. So if the quality and quantity of my energy is good, the chances are better that the fruit will also be good, but not guaranteed. So if my well-being is dependent on the, the, the abundance of the harvest and the, the fineness of the fruit, I'm always going to be insecure because things happen. You know, just things happen. The print, the print shop burns down. You know, somebody deliberately sabotages your effort. You know, you just make some unbelievable mistake. I, we, Swami went on a lecture tour of Hawaii once. This was many years ago. And we decided to really splurge. And again, this is when print was the only form of medium. And four-color printing, which is probably a concept that nobody even knows anymore. Four-color printing, which meant full-color printing, was more expensive than black and white by a considerable amount. So nowadays you just have these machines that'll just make color for you and nobody even thinks about it. But then, in the old days, children, when we walked uphill to school both ways, you know, it was different. So we made this big full-color poster for Swamiji for his Hawaii trip. And it wasn't until they were all printed and were actually being put up on buildings in Hawaii that someone noticed we had spelled Kriyananda wrong. I mean, the letters were six inches high. It was, it was you know, two and a half feet. Kriyananda, it said. It's just like, oh my gosh. And it was I who had done it. It was just unbelievable. And it was so awful that it was funny, actually. I don't even, even now, I don't, I don't, have, I don't even cringe because it was just unbelievable. How many eyes had seen it? There weren't even that many words on the poster after that. Just FYI, <laughs> there was always one proofreader who took whatever it was and went through it and made sure that Kriyananda, Yogananda, Ananda was all smelled, smelled, spelled properly. And of course, there's spell check now and all kinds of things, but oh my gosh, you know, just what a moment. Now, if my well-being had depended on that poster, I could have been in a lot of trouble. I'd really done my best. I don't know how we managed to do it. It was just Divine Mother's joke. Fortunately, no one else noticed either. They just saw all those letters garbled together, all those A's and N's and everything, and just read it for what it was supposed to be. Or as far as they knew, Kriyananda, why not? It made as much sense to them as Kriyananda. It was all just foreign words. <laughs> but what if it had really mattered? You know, what if it had really mattered? There's a, because I've had so much experience with typing and words and so on. There's a poem that I keep somewhere upstairs in my file, and it's called Ode to the Typographical Error. And the typographical error has this, this incredible morphing quality, which it is, it, is, it is tinier than the eye can perceive, you know, for the entire production process. And only 
when the project is finished to, and you hand it to your boss, <laughs> and then all of a sudden the typographical error assumes, you know, Goliath proportions, and it is the only thing on the page, and that's just the way it is. That's what they're like. Swami Kriyananda had this incredible capacity to find the one mistake in the book. I'm going to actually pull the book out. Here it is. It's the path like this. This is the first edition of this book. And I'm, I'm holding this up for the video. Many of you are getting this on a podcast. I'm holding up two copies of the, a book called The Path and The New Path, which is Swami Kriyananda's autobiography. It probably weighs about two and a half pounds. It's 500 pages. You know, it's thousands and thousands, you know, tens of thousands of words. I was responsible for the publication. I mean, I was in charge of the project for the publication of the first edition of that book. Swami Kriyananda had left America and he'd gone to India. He was in seclusion for a number of months. Then he finished a trip around the world. He went through Australia, Bali, Thailand. When he was coming out from India, he went through Thailand. We produced the book while he was gone. And this is, again, this is back in the day when you know, communication was not so simple. And a, f- a friend came from America, met Swamiji in Bangkok, and he carried the book, which was Swamiji's life work. I mean, this was so important in 1977. That book was so important to Swamiji. He'd written his life story with, with Master. It was, it was the foundation of what he was doing. So us presenting the book to him was extraordinary. So my friend, who has a lot of uh, theatrical character, he met Swamiji in the lobby of, I believe it was the Golden Orchid Hotel in Bangkok, or it was, I've been, I think the Golden Orchid is where I've been, but it was a very high-class hotel. He whips the book out, he presents it to Swami Kriyananda. Swami opens it at random. There is one mistake in that book, one. He opens the page in which the, the chapter title was different than the chapter. Swami saw it, and because he knew the book, he immediately saw it. You know, there it was. <laughs> but he, he just laughed. He thought, Divine Mother, you're playing with me. And I really believe that is the only error in the entire 500-page book. And he just opened it like that, right to there. You know, but... He thought it was as funny as we did <laughs> because we'd done it for the sake of doing it and we'd done it with our whole hearts. And of course we wanted the book, but you know, beyond that, but oh my goodness, if our well-being had depended on that, what a crushing blow that would have been. Now these are small. I'm giving you small incidents, but the, the principle is always true. It's a, it's a challenging principle, but uh, trust me, it's well worth the effort. So Swami says... Act without desire for the fruits of your action. Take care of the present, and the future will take care of itself. The past will then cease to be a burden on your conscience, and the future will await you with a smile. Joy to you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners, so if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation, or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.